on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Well, it happened again, and this time it happened without any violence. I'm talking about the 95th Academy Awards ceremony, the Oscars, which took place just last week. The rich and the famous gathered for a glittering time of celebration, hoping that this year would eclipse the sadness of what's become known as the Year of the Slap. Back in 2022, remember that Will Smith infamously assaulted Chris Rock and then he went on to be presented with an award. Awkward. One highlight of this year's event was when Jamie Lee Curtis gave a speech that celebrated all the people that she's ever worked with in the movie industry. There are hundreds of us standing up here, she said, as she won an Oscar. We won an Oscar, she declared. It was a moment to remember when a star shared the spotlight. The Oscars, the Emmys, the Grammys, all of these occasions celebrate their household names. So tonight, without any paparazzi present, I would like to introduce you to three completely unknown people who I think are worthy of celebration. Each one of them is an artist because they've lived in a way that has brought life and colour to the world around them. They'll never stand on platforms and receive rapturous applause, but I think they're worthy of celebration. And more importantly, I think that the God of the universe would say to them, well done, good and faithful servants. So stay with me for an award ceremony with a difference, no prizes, no statues, but an opportunity to learn and be inspired by some unknown heroes you'll get to meet a mayor of one of the most beleaguered cities in America, a hairdresser who was a catalyst for revival, and a devout Elvis Presley fan who did some amazing work for a variety of charities. So stay with me here on tonight's Lucas on Life. Halfway down the stairs is a stair where I sit. There isn't any other stair quite like it. So wrote A.A. A. Milne in his poem Halfway Down his words made all the more famous by Robin the Frog. Recently, I found myself humming that little ditty most Sundays when I show up for church, although it's not part of our worship set yet. It's because halfway down the stairs is where I always find my friend Larry, our first unsung hero of the evening. Larry is always to be found parked in his usual place, halfway down the stairs in the entrance foyer of our church. He's standing, though, not sitting, because Larry is a man on a mission. Larry has been rather good with Missions Impossible, embracing challenges both large and small. An extremely minor mission of his involves him cutting my hair. A gifted hairdresser, he's usually given more to work with than I can offer, but he manages to do the best job humanly possible with the shrinking peninsula I call my hairstyle. But his hairdressing has led to some life-altering, church-transforming encounters. Decades ago, Larry was the stylist for Nikki, a beautiful but slightly lost girl who was paying her way through college by removing her clothes for ogling men at a local strip club. Nikki's coming to our church triggered the beginning of a wonderful, messy influx of people who were rather more obviously lost than most lost people. There's no doubt that the huge growth in our church was launched by Nikki's arrival and immediate dramatic conversion. These days, when asked how our church grew, 
I rather naughtily comment that we got a stripper in. All of that was almost 35 years ago, yet Larry, now a sprightly 70-something old who wears trendy clothes and sports a cool white goatee beard, Larry refuses to live on yesterday's stories, and so he parks himself on the landing halfway down those stairs because Larry is on the lookout. He scans the teeming crowd of gathering worshippers, searching for the people that he's invited to come to church during the week. Then there are the new Christians that he's informally discipling, folks he wants to make sure he greets, others he's on the lookout for to sit next to because they're alone or just encouraged because he knows that they've been through a rough season. Larry hasn't had the benefit of a smooth running life. Divorced twice, he spent a number of years living in his hairdressing salon because he couldn't afford a business and a home. But Larry has got no time for looking back or, for that matter, endlessly looking forward. He's committed to a laugh-out-loud attitude towards each new day that comes, living in the here and now, soaking up the gravy from the plate of each moment. And that means giving rather than grabbing. This caring people-watcher could be forgiven for wanting his own space at the weekends, seeing as he spends his days chatting with one client after another while he attends to their hair. But often I'll find him sitting in two services, singing the same songs, listening to the repeated message, because from his stairway vantage point, he spotted someone in need of company. Years ago, Led Zeppelin sang about a lady who was buying a stairway to heaven. But those of us who follow Jesus know well that all the trillions in the world wouldn't buy a stairway to that place. Instead, the way has been made open by the Jesus who came down, down and down again, navigating the inexplicable gap between the throne of heaven and manger of Bethlehem, opening the way by grace alone. That same Jesus went on the lookout for unlikely people like Peter and John and outcasts like Zacchaeus and people who felt that their souls were terminally stained like that famous woman at the well. So here's to Larry, my first award winner this evening and many more like him who live life on the lookout, scanning the crowd for someone who needs a smile. I'm not at the bottom, I'm not at the top, so this is the stair where I always stop. Keep doing that, Larry. Keep stopping. Keep looking. As my so-called award ceremony continues, let me introduce you to Barney. Barney loved grilled cheese sandwiches, stuffed teddy bears, Elvis Presley and people. He was abandoned by his parents at birth and diagnosed with severe learning difficulties. And so he spent his first 30 years in the clinical sterility of a state hospital. After a spell living in a group home, he decided to go it alone, quite unaware of his seven younger siblings who lived nearby, and they too were oblivious of his existence. He lived independently for decades. But as someone commented just recently, Barney didn't just live downtown, he really lived downtown, becoming such a local celebrity that a new post office was named in his honour. Barney spent his days popping into shops, making new friends and investing time in conversation. People would stop him in the street to catch up with him. 
He used his remarkable networking skills to raise money for local charities and would often be spotted strolling around town with an empty mayonnaise jar collecting change for his latest cause. When asked what his favourite charity was, he would answer, all of them. Kathleen was a surprised widow. She comes to our church. Her husband, Jimmy, a local physician, died quite unexpectedly from heart failure. Kathleen's world shattered, but she determined to energetically press on with faith and life. And so every Sunday she could be seen spotted in our church, seated in the same area she always sits, wearing the same encouraging smile that she always wears. Kathleen has an endearing but rather strange habit. When she watches television, she joins in with the dialogue. If an on-screen character asks if anyone would like coffee, Kathleen catches herself joining in. Yes, please. She caught the habit from her friend. That friend was Barney. Meeting Barney during one of his downtown walkabouts, Kathleen, together with another friend, decided to invite Barney to go to the cinema with them. And he was quite delighted, and the movie-going became a regular habit. He would often phone Kathleen many times in a day, wanting to discuss upcoming films, keen for another outing. And he would often join in with the on-screen conversation, which was a little embarrassing in a crowded cinema. When Kathleen's friend went through some personal trials and dropped out of their little film group, Kathleen continued and made those cinematic outings with Barney a priority. Barney's local impact continued. When his seven siblings were finally tracked down and came to town to visit him, they were welcomed by the mayor of the city and treated to a civic luncheon in Barney's honour. Not only did they have no idea that they had a brother, but were moved by the news that he was such a local treasure. Barney died recently, and over a hundred people gathered in a city park to celebrate his memory. And recently, Kathleen told me about their outings. When she told me about those excursions and about Barney and his downtown chats and charity work, I realised that true heroes are those who stop fantasising about the life they could have, but just get on and fully give themselves to the life that they do have. For very different reasons, both Barney and Kathleen could have allowed grief and disability to derail them, corralling them into a life of sullen self-preoccupation, but both chose a different path. It's been said that most people spend their entire lives indefinitely preparing to live. We squander days and even decades waiting for our circumstances to improve, postponing joy, ignoring opportunities for service, always waiting for the better tomorrow that never arrives. And when life is lived on hold, not only does it turn into a grey experience of survival, but we fail to notice that in reaching out to bless others, we bless Jesus, who made it clear. When we visit the prisoner, clothe the naked and care for the sick, we do it for them, but those acts of kindness are done to him. Our acts of kindness needn't be huge, grand gestures. It's perfectly possible that with a pause for a chat, a rattled mayonnaise jar and a handful of movie tickets, we could change our world. Today, this week, let's look for Jesus and show him kindness. Somewhere in our day, perhaps heavily disguised, he's waiting. In this, my awards ceremony, if you will, 
I'd like to introduce you to my third nomination. He lives in Flint, Michigan, in the USA. Flint, at one point, had the reputation of being America's most dangerous city, with violent crimes spiralling as a beleaguered police force fought a losing battle against drugs and guns. Flint, Michigan, is the subject of an eight-part Netflix documentary called Flint Town, which makes harrowing viewing. Mothers weep over the murdered bodies of their sons. Law enforcement officials openly confess their terror of going on patrol. Local politicians feud about who is to blame. In short, Flint was abandoned. Once a thriving metropolis, the hub of General Motors manufacturing, with a plant so massive it was called Buick City, a series of economic downturns threw some knockout punches. And then a negligent engineering decision released lead into the city's water system, literally poisoning the population. The centre of the city looks like a war zone with dozens of boarded-up homes and businesses. The school buildings are closed and rotting. And there are all the associated problems that come with poverty. My wife Kay and I have been to Flint on a preaching engagement. While we were there, we were invited to meet the sheriff, Images of John Wayne swaggering through the swing doors of a bar came to mind, but I resisted the temptation to greet him with a howdy, partner. With quick wit and a warm smile, Sheriff Chris organised a guided tour of the jail, which housed 630 inmates. Kay and I were then loaded into a police car and taken around the city. During the 55-minute ride, we saw a house burn down and responded to a report of a robbery that was in progress. We were dismayed as we slowly drove through the bleak streets, the sense of despair heavy in the air. The greatest impact, however, came from the sheriff and his team. He outlined his plans for a new educational system for the jail where every inmate would be issued with an iPad. Half of them were illiterate and desperately needed to learn the most basic skills. I'm proud of and I love my city, he said, his eyes bright. When we asked him about the source of his passion, he was emphatic. I became a Christian, he said, when I was just 18. My passion and joy comes from the Holy Spirit. That energy was infectious and was expressed by every police officer we talked to. I came away from Flint with a sense that the city was not abandoned, but that there are many who love it, and a lot of them are believers. The early church made its mark as unsung heroes without printing presses or social media. They were a brave lot, those first Christians, swimming against the cultural tide with their good news that Jesus, not Caesar, his Lord. They changed their world as they rolled up their sleeves, staying behind when cities were hit by plagues, caring for the dying, risking their own lives in the process. In the Roman world, something called liberates was practised. It was a reciprocal deal where one person would only give something to another, provided that later on the favour would be returned. The arrangement worked rather well, unless you were a widow or an orphan with nothing to bring to the table. But our Christian ancestors, most of them anonymous, they broke with conformity and gave freely without any hope of return. The practice of freely giving continues. Across the UK, people are quietly making a difference as they volunteer in food banks, debt counselling centres, street pastor programmes and so, so much more. Recently, I met a couple of 80-year-old ladies who don 
orange tabards every Saturday night to brave the streets of their city. We carry flip-flops and blankets with us, one silver-haired lady said. The young people get so drunk in the clubs that they lose their shoes and coats, so they come out barefoot and freezing. That's where we step in to help them stay warm and share some love and kindness in Jesus' name. Those ladies have also endured some sharp-tongued criticism from an unexpected source, members of their own church who feel that they're not being overtly evangelistic enough, and some have even suggested that their presence encourages excessive drinking, two criticisms that beggar belief. The delightful grey-haired warriors, unsung heroes, they soldier on regardless. And so, as we come to the end of tonight's show... Perhaps you're one of that vast army and right now you feel tired and unappreciated and there are times when serving is the last thing you want to do. Can I say to you, heroic person, thank you. May you know God's strength and smile as you continue the great work. And if you ever think of a city called Flint, lift a prayer because the sheriff and his posse, they're in town and hope is making a comeback too. See you next week. Lucas on Life.